Grab a seat real quick. As you can tell, I'm not Gabe. Uh, my name is Carlton Hicks, and I am uh, on... Oh, wait a minute. Well, I'm a... Mi- well, no. I work at Home Depot. So, as a point of introduction, just to let you guys know where we've been and what we've been doing, as the semester has begun, we've been talking about... What is the church? We've been kind of going back over and seeing how things began in the first century, how the church began. What were the focuses of the things that were in the church in the first century? And in that process, how that can affect us and how that can direct us today. And so um, we got a couple of things that we're going to jump in. I'm going to do a point of review. So we're going to go back over the last two weeks if you weren't here. Um, and just kind of talk about those things. And then we're going to jump into what we're talking about today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 2, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 42 through 47. Just kind of hold your place there. And let's kind of go back over what we've talked about. Um, it's been interesting to me. Gabe kind of started out two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And he kind of showed you a slide, which was kind of the generic church logo. Let me say that. It's like church name, slogan, tagline, if required. And he put that up and said, basically today, if you want to plant a church, what you need to have is a really cool banner with a really cool name, with a really cool tagline, and you can begin a church in this day and age, which is true. I mean, I was a church planner. I planted for six years. Our church was called Oikos. Cool name, right? Oikos. Like the Greek yogurt, right? Okay. But if you understand the word oikos, oikos is actually the Greek word for family. Or if you're into Disney, ohana. Okay. So the mentality of family and and the idea of oikos was that when people came to faith, it wasn't an individual came to faith. It was their oikos. And oikos was anywhere from 30 to 80 people. Get it? Oikos. We wanted to be a family. We wanted to connect people. We wanted to reach out to people. So cool tagline. Make sure everything works together and you can plan a church. And that's great. However, the problem is, is most people walk into the doors of the church. And when I say the doors, <laughs> we're in a gym, right? Is this a church? Thank you, Tozer. Um, yes and no. Yes, because the church is what? The people. It's not the building. No, because we're in a gym. Okay, if you couldn't figure it out when you first walked in, <laughs> bless your heart. Okay, the mentality of it is a church is not necessarily the building, it is the people, it's the body. And so when we look at starting a church and we look at what the early church was, early church didn't have a cool slogan. They didn't have neat tagline and all that stuff. They, they didn't have a building. It was just a bunch of people that had come to faith and they started meeting together and hanging out together and doing life together. And that's really kind of what we're looking at is how it began in the first century and what that does for us today. How can we emulate what was done in the first century today? So the first week we jumped in and, and here's some of the key aspects. Gabe started from this by looking at the first church was actually gospel-centered. Um, and for those of y'all who understand what gospel-centered means, it means everything was centered on the Okay, very good. What's the gospel though? And everybody said, oh, it's good news. Okay, great. Good news about what? Jesus. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, welcome to Sunday school where every answer is Jesus. Okay. Um, but what is the gospel? What is the good news? What does it mean? It means we were separated and are separated from God by our sin. We bore it. We born into it. We own it. We have looked at God and said, not your way, my way. And that's from birth. 
And let's be honest, if you haven't had kids, you don't really know what original sin is. You don't have a two-year-old looking at you trying to steal a cookie that you said, no, you cannot have. Explicitly described, you cannot have that cookie and them try to eat the cookie and they know they're not supposed to have a cookie and then you go up to them and go, you're not supposed to have a cookie. Uh-huh. Why did you get that cookie? For you. I don't want a cookie. Can I have it? Okay, you lying little sack of dirt. I did not emulate that. You did not learn that culturally. You own that. That is original sin. The gospel is that God saw us in our state and didn't leave us there, but came. And through the person of Jesus, met every requirement for the perfect life that we're supposed to live. Paid the debt that we own and we own. And then after paying the debt, stamped it, got the receipt back because he was resurrected from the dead. And now all we have to do is have that awakened in us, trust that, and we walk in that, and we now have a relationship with God because our unholiness has been paid for by the holiness of Christ. That's the gospel. Plain and simple. It was gospel-centered. Everything the first church did was through the lens of being gospel-centered. How they lived life, how they talked to people, how they worked, what they did. Um, working at, at Home Depot, they give these things called Homer Awards. Does anybody work at Home Depot? Ever worked at Home Depot? Tozer, you're not even old enough to work. Um, they give these things called Homer Awards. And if you go above and beyond or you live out the values, they give you this Homer Award. And the Homer Award just says you're living out our values. And if you get enough of these awards, you collect, you know, they give you cool stuff, blah, 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 blah. So the other day we had uh, one, of our, uh, one of our employees got the Homer Award because we had the vice president of our area come into our store. Everybody's freaking out, okay? Because when the vice president of the area, and when I say area, I mean the southeast, not Gainesville, the southeast walks into the store. Everybody's eyeballs go, oh, and we start running around like chickens with heads cut off. So he comes in, he goes through this, and he says, hey, I'm giving you this Homer Award because I see that you work in such a way that you live out our values, that you honor the people around you, and that you honor our customers that they come into the store. And the guy looked at him without busting, I mean, without literally any, he just said, well, that's because I'm a Christian, and that's the way I live out my life. Boom! I was like, smoke it, son. Nice job. You're not supposed to say that, but nice job. Because as Christians, through the gospel lens, that's the way we live our life. What's the goal of Christianity, guys? It's not getting to heaven, it's what? That we look more and more each day like who? Yeah, like Christ. That's the goal of Christianity. So everything they did was through gospel-centered lens. The second thing that we looked at from that is in the early church, they had an unparalleled unity. An unparalleled unity, which expressed itself in what we call today community. They just connected, man. They were so fixed on the person of Jesus being gospel-centered that they just had a unity. Did they have disagreements? Yeah, they had disagreements. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? It didn't matter. Their community was amazing. They got together. They ate, they ate meals together. Okay? And if you know anything about Jewish culture, um, uh, I, I teach self-defense, and the self-defense that I do is Krav Maga. It's, it's Israeli. And so my instructor is actually from the, the, from the tribe of Aaron. So he's the priestly tribe. He comes in twice a year. I've been over there and trained with them in Jerusalem. But Moshe, when he comes in, he talks about the fact that he goes, I don't eat dinner with just anybody. As a Jew, I want to make sure that the people that I meet with are ceremonial clean because I'm an observant Jew. 
I don't just let anybody come to my dinner table because their dinner table is actually called their worship center. And so I don't just choose anyone to eat with. These guys got together. And you got to understand, the early church wasn't just Jewish. It was what? It was all groups of people. Men and women. Okay? Jews, non-Jews. Okay? If you want to contextualize it today, it was Muslim. It was Israeli. It was Jewish. It was American. It was Southern. It was Northern. I mean, it was everybody coming together at the table. They had a unique community. So you see, just in the first two things, what was focused was gospel-centered church. Also, they were in just an amazing unity with community. And then today, we're going to look at the third aspect of it. And the third aspect of it is going to be weird because most of you are going to go, dang it, I came on the mission Sunday. I don't have slides. Okay? If you're, if you're raised in church, you're just, <laughs> please don't. Okay? If you weren't raised in church, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? Don't worry about it, okay? But the third aspect of the early church was they were extremely focused on missions. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to think about this. Close your eyes for just a second. The first week, Gabe asked you, in your mind's eye, to picture, when I say the word church, what do you think of? Well, here's what I want to do. I want you to do the same thing, but I'm going to say, what do you think of when you think of the word missions? Just get that in your head, a little picture. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? It could be a mission trip. It could be youth group. How many of you went on a mission trip when you were in a youth group? Okay. <laughs> I love this half-hearted response. It's like when you ask, do you have teenagers? Yeah. Okay. It may be foreign missions. It may be... Uh, it could be anything. It could be the, the great race. It could be these things. Because primarily when we talk about missions, the first thing that comes to our mind is going someplace to do something. Okay? But today we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're not going to look at it as far as going someplace. It's understanding missions happens right where you're at. So if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let's read it real quickly. And they, that's the disciples... The people, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see from the beginning this gospel centeredness. Everything flows through the lens of the gospel. Everything flows from that, and then there's great unity and community, and then how that flows out. So we began, the, we began this by talking about this idea of being gospel centered. Okay, and how that flows from that, and we're going to do a little triangle here. Can you guys see this somewhat? Okay, I'm short, so I, I never can. So gospel-centered into community, and how that flows into being on mission. Uh, how many cadets have we got? Okay. <laughs> when I say mission, what's the first thing you think of? Goal-oriented task. 
There's a mission we have to complete. This is the idea. This is what we got to do. And we have to do these things to get to that point. That's the idea of mission. And so a lot of times when we think of this word mission, we think of a place to go, something to do. But I want to kind of change our thoughts because they didn't go any place, did they? The first part of the church, where were they, where were they located? Jerusalem, okay? Then spread out. Then started spreading out yet. That was coming, but at the beginning, they just kind of connected together. So look at this as far as the passages of Scripture go. In verses 42 through 43, their devotion was to the communication of the gospel and to living that out the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, the body of Christ, and to the breaking of bread, the idea of being together, and the prayers, fellowship with Jesus. Reverential awe came upon them because of the specific works the Holy Spirit was doing outside of the fellowship to minister and prove the, credential, the credentials they had from God. That's the awe and wonder. That's the miracles that were taking place. Verses 43 through 45, unity flowed out among them from the Father and they lived in such connected community, that commonness, that the body specifically looked around them and helped each other out. Now, I want to do a caveat here because we've got a lot of discussion about this. This is not communism or socialism. Let's, let's get this straight real quickly because some people are trying to use, and I'm not trying to be political, I'm just trying to point out something. Some people are trying to use this passage as saying that, that, that communism or socialism is what Jesus originally stated. No, the reason it's not one of those two things is because people voluntarily gave, all right? They weren't compelled to give, they voluntarily gave. They voluntarily sold their possessions put it in to help people in need who were around them because gospel-centeredness focuses on what Jesus thinks is important and what does Jesus think is important? Us. Not just the body, but humanity as a whole. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. That's humanity. And so in that gospel-centeredness, they were, they were, they took, money, put it together so they can meet the needs of people around them. Verses 46 through 47, every day they, the church, met together following their daily routines of attending worship at the temple, having common meals together in each other's homes with joy and gladness, praising God. And here's the key factor in that. When people saw them have that kind of unity, have that kind of commonality, have that kind of gospel-centeredness flow out, people took notice, and when they took notice, they liked what they saw. Let me ask you a question today. When people look at Christianity, do you think they like what they see from the outside? Take time to let that sink in for a second. When they see Christianity from the outside, do you think they... They see joy in that. Do you think they see commonality in that? Do you think they see the gospel in that? Yes or no? Whose fault is that? You as a pastor. No. I mean, I, I take partial blame in that. But what is that as a whole? That's us. It's the whole body. Because in the beginning, they lived in such a way that literally that gospel-centeredness flowed into, they, they, were, they, were com they had common things. They were, what was the commonality? The gospel. And that is communal. And then from there, they moved out on missions. Another way we looked at this, and we studied this a couple of years ago, is this idea of up, in, and out. If our relationship with the Father are up, 
is kicking. It's on point. It's going well. And our relationship connection with our community is going well. What should flow out of that? Our, re- our connection and our relationship with people outside of the body. Up, in, and out. Relationship with the Father, relationship with each other, relationship with the outside world. The problem is most of our churches today are focused on either these two or one of these two things, and that turns our triangle into what? A weird line. Because you negate this entire side. Balance is having the gospel-centeredness of up, the community of in, and then the overflow and the flowing out of mission. Gabe described it a year ago as we don't want to be a lake church, right? What's a lake church? It's a place where people come and the lake just kind of takes everything in and we get our pontoon boats together and sing Red Solo Cup, I Lift You Up, that kind of mentality where everybody's just together. But there's no flowing out. He said we want to be a river church. A river church flows. There's no holding it. It moves. So there's certain people that will move and not stay here. They'll go elsewhere. That's exactly what we want. When people equipped to do the work that God's called them to do and flowing out from there because we as a church have equipped them to do what it is God's called them to do and they flow out from there. It's that idea of out. Back to our thoughts on missions. The idea of this should translate that when it flows out to the world around us, there's a balance, there's a connection. It's it's this idea of the Great Commission. Uh, Does anybody know the Great Commission by heart? Okay, turn to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. When you get there, and Jesus said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus speaking to the disciples. Verse 19, and if you underline or you highlight, there's two words I want you to highlight. It's the first two words, go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The idea of go, therefore, we've missed that translation. We've missed that from the Greek. Because it doesn't mean, hey, go someplace. It literally means as you go. As you live your life. As you Go to class, as you go to work, as you go home, as you go to McDonald's, bless your heart if you do, uh, as you go to Moe's, whatever. As you live your life, make disciples. And that's why a lot of times what happens is, is we forget that when we think of missions, our thought process is going overseas or going to Kentucky because bless their heart, they need Jesus, okay? Georgia fans go, huh? Okay, so... Any of these ideas, it's this mentality of we go someplace to do something. The change that I want us to look at is this. Better stated, if we look at this, it's not going to a place. It's not going to a country. It's not going to an area. It's not going to a culture. Missions, if you want it to be what it's supposed to be, it's not where you're going. It's where you're at. Throw that up. Missions is not where you're going. It's where you're at. That's that first thing up there. The mentality of this is, for many of us, missions is where you're at. It's in class. It's at work. It's here. It's here because not everybody here knows him. Who are you investing in 
outside of this. I don't have to go to Africa to do this, guys. I can do this to my neighbor who lives next door to me who thinks I'm an idiot because I'm a pastor. And I've been doing it for 14 years. This is the guy when he first came into church at Oikos four or five years ago, I literally thought the building was going to explode. Because he came in and I said, what are you doing at church? He goes, well, I just, I feel I need a little Jesus. So I came to church. I said, okay. So we had our service and everything. And afterwards I said, why did it take you so long? He said, because I was afraid you were going to be different here than you are in the neighborhood. Because most Christians I know act one way on Sunday and another way for the rest of the week. I said, so was that any different? He said, no, you're still a knucklehead. You are right here and you are in the neighborhood. I said, good. Okay, great. Wonderful. Awesome. Being on mission or missional is understanding that as we live our life, that is where we invest the gospel. And I think many of us forget that because we're waiting to go someplace where we can share the gospel or invest it in somebody's lives as opposed to where we are right here, right now. My gosh, guys, you're in college. Hello. Do you think you're here on a mistake? Well, I was trying to get into Georgia and I couldn't get into Georgia, so I can't even know Georgia. No, okay? You're not here mistakenly. Adult, do you think you live in the neighborhood you live in by mistake? No. God has placed you where he wants you to be. When you think of it missionally, it's a place that we get to live life at. That's exactly what missions is. Secondly, this living missionally, constantly investing the gospel wherever you find yourself. This idea that you see things as you're supposed to. The second thing that's what we're talking about is Living missionally constantly is understanding that you're investing the gospel wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. Here's the thing that I think many of us forget, and I'm one of the guys, look, I'm, I'm not preaching at you. I'm talking to you because this is what I've experienced in my life. A lot of pastors get up here and rah, 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 rah. When we get up here, we're saying, no, this is what we've experienced in our life, and this is how it's fleshed itself out. Hopefully we connect with this. When you go through what you go through in life, you don't go through it simply for you. Now, now let me back up for that. When my dad died in 2016, out of the blue, one minute, what are you doing? You know, you can't do that. You, okay, fine, I'll talk to you tomorrow, hang up. I get a call at 6 a.m. the very next day. Hey, your father's dead. And I go... And this is the type of person, I apologize. I, I'm a jerk, I know it. And I literally, when the person said this, I went, no, seriously, who's this? Sir, your father passed away last night. Did you poke him? Because he might be jacking with you. What? Hold on, let me call you back. You get a phone call at 6 a.m. that your father's dead, it <laughs> throws you for a loop, Right? I didn't go through that simply for me. I had a friend of mine a year later that experienced one of the very similar things. I went through that because God was preparing me to minister to this person at this time. As somebody ministered to me at the time I went through, I went through. You don't go through everything simply for yourself. Your pain, 
your troubles, your questions, the good times, the bad times. All of these things we go through, we go through not simply for ourselves, but missionally so that we can minister to somebody down the road. Did you know that? I guarantee most, if you're like me, I didn't know that until later in life. And I'm going through stuff and I'm going, seriously, God, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Do you not see what's going on here? As if God somehow went out for a ham sandwich and came back. And, Ooh, what happened? He, he knows everything that's going on. But I had to go through a lot of stuff so that God could gain my attention so that I can use that in ministering to somebody else. That's living missionally. Investing the gospel wherever you find yourself, whatever the situation is. Thirdly, and this is from that aspect of understanding that as we go along, as we live our lives, we're to be making disciples because they began that process by doing that, is if we don't understand, if we don't live in light of this living missionally, we may not understand we've been blessed to be a blessing. You and I have been blessed to be a blessing. Everybody heard, remember the call of Abram from the Old Testament in Genesis 12? Abram was just living out his life and God appears to Abram and says, Abram, you're going to go where I tell you to go and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And Abram goes, okay. This is the abridged version. And God looks at him and from that point he says, I'm going to bless you in such a way that you are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Literally, it says every nation on earth will be blessed by you. And that promise that was given to Abram is also given to you and I. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing in other people's lives. You're a college student. <laughs> blessing doesn't mean financially, maybe. Okay? I mean, some of you so broke, you got a dollar, you're like... <laughs> Do I spend it or go hang out with it? Okay, it's that mentality of being broke. But some of you are blessed with hospitality that you can invite people over to your house and love on them that way. Some of you are blessed financially. And you may be able to buy a poor youth pastor a breakfast or something like that. I was a poor youth pastor, that's why I say it. Um, that mentality is if we live that way, we are called to be a blessing to those around us. Hey, we just said that you're not here by mistake. We talked about God's character and nature all summer long, and one of them is his sovereignty, right? If God is sovereign, you're where you're supposed to be. How many of you have ever gone through this? I wonder if I'm in the center of God's will for my life. You know, I may be at the wrong, this may be the wrong person to date. I may be at the wrong place. <laughs> if God is sovereign, is he going to make a mistake? Yes or no? No, you are where you are because he wanted you to be here at this time. You are in the classes that you're at, not by happenstance or chance. You're there sovereignly because there's somebody around you God wants you to invest the gospel into. This is living missionally. Again, you ain't got to go someplace. It's as you go, right where you're at. Think of this. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Here's the problem with most of us living missionally. Most of us feel like we're a failure at Christian life anyway. So it's really hard for us to tell people about Jesus because we're so screwed up on the inside that if somebody saw our relationship with Jesus and how we live life, they would literally go, eh, I don't want any part of that. 
Turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through, 30, or 13 through 15. Here's what it says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Let me say it again. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God opening up, revealing to us. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Listen to the questioning. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For you and for me, we may not be preachers, but preaching the good news is not doing this. I mean, what's preaching the good news? As you go, living missionally through the lens of Jesus. Literally in that process, we have these opportunities. You have better opportunities than me as a professional Christian, right? Because me as a professional Christian, as a pastor, what do I do? I sit in an office. How many people come running up to my office, banging on the door? I need to be saved. Tell me about Jesus. In 30 years of ministry, you know how many times that's happened? Never. Never. How many times has your roommate come to you and said, I really need to confide in you, or I've got a problem, can you help me? Or I'm really sad or I'm really down, will you listen to me? How many times has that happened to you? A heck of a lot more than people coming to my door. That literally is living missionally. You get to invest the gospel into lives of other people. Lastly, if we refuse to live in light of this, if we refuse to live missionally, if it's going someplace versus where you're at, here's the question I'm going to ask you. Now listen, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just asking this question because it's a question I've asked myself every time I forget or fail to invest the gospel. If I don't do this, what is my view of the gospel actually? If I don't think it's important enough to invest in the life of somebody else, how, what do, how do I actually view the gospel? Or, in retrospect, if I don't think it's important enough to invest in their life, what do I think of them? They're not important enough to hear the gospel. The gospel, they don't need the gospel. It, it's, it's too, um, it, it's just, it's too touchy. I mean, I know they came to me for advice, but if I start sharing Jesus with them, they may get freaked out and think I'm one of those freaks and run off. Living missionally is you have such a relationship with that person, invested in that person, that you can tell them about Jesus and it won't flinch because they know you love them and care about them. If you refuse to live in light of this, what does it say about the gospel? What are our thoughts on the gospel? Or what does it think about people around us? Here's the key. If you look at it, Jesus is everything. What is that? Gospel-centered. Your story matters. Enough to be connected with other people who are believers, who are following Jesus, so that you have community, so that you can be discipled, so that you can have this opportunity where you can disciple. That's community. And lastly, people matter. It's understanding that if you're equipped to know that people matter, you'll live constantly on mission all the time. If the gospel matters, 
If community matters, if people matter, you'll live on mission the entire time. It was so different for me because I grew up in church and the way I grew up in church with the gospel, the gospel was this presentation of, well, it's kind of weird. Um, can I get two volunteers to help me out? One, AJ, come on up. You can hold this. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. You can hold this. All right, so here's the way it was, it was shown to me. Come over here. This is a globe. I know you can't see it that well. It's been a childhood toy that my kids have had since the 30s. Okay, so this is the world, all right? This is Jesus. Turn around. Okay, it's just a really bad picture. You're going to slide over here. So this is the way I understood the gospel. The way we live our lives before Jesus is this is all we're focused on, is world. The world the way it is. The culture of the world. Everything about the world. The sin, the lust. The, uh, okay, it's all about the world. This is the way we live our life. But when we come to Jesus, we turn, and we turn to Christ, and we turn our back on the world, and I'm not going to live like this anymore. And I'm like, ooh, icky, yucky, circle the wagons, homeschooling, and do all this stuff that, if you're homeschooling, I'm just making fun. Uh, this idea of I'm no longer going to be associated with the world because the world is evil, it will taint me. If I'm anywhere near it, ooh, yuck, okay? This this is the way we view the gospel. Thank you very much. Welcome to the branch. Okay. So, and, and in light of this, I live 10 to 15 years with this mentality. I only listen to Christian music. By the way, never mind. <laughs> so, like, everything was about, I, I, can't, I can't have anything to do with the world. If I have something to do with the world, it's going to stain me. About 10, 12 years ago, a buddy of mine named Dave Rhodes was talking and, and he shared this with me and he said, you know, if you live in light that the world is evil and that we should have nothing to do with the world, then you live in the direct opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about the world. And I was like, dang, man, don't be doing that. You're messing, you're messing my whole philosophy up. But as we work this and live this out, I begin to understand something. Biblically, you stay where you're at. When we come to Christ, we don't turn our back on the world, but now we begin to view the world through the lens of Jesus. Your softball team, all those crackheads that run around and cuss and yell and chew and dip and date girls that do. And you, I don't want to be around them. You view that through the lens of Jesus. Your work, all those people that cuss and throw things and talk bad about the guy beside you. You view that through the lens of Jesus. Your dorm where everybody every weekend goes out and gets hammered. And then you end up having to drive them around because you're the designated driver. Ew, icky, I can't touch that, I'll get dirty. You view it through the lens of Jesus. And it will change the way you see this. Ultimately, Jesus wants to see it through his eyes. Before you became a Christian, you were lost. You had no hope. You were dead in your sin, and you were going, to, when you died, to be separated from God for eternity. And Jesus stepped in. 
God revealed himself to you and you came to faith. And through that process, Jesus said, now I want to change the way you see everything. Those of us that wear glasses know exactly what this is. You take your glasses off. Right now, everybody's a fuzz to me. Because I don't have my glasses on, you're fuzz. But as soon as I put my corrective lenses on, I can see your faces. Jesus is our corrective lens. He allows us to see things the way we should see them versus the way we do see them. This is living missionally. This is understanding these things that we talked about. If you're equipped to know that people matter, you'll live in light of this. Very simple. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a seat. So what does that mean for you and I today? As we close, it's going to be kind of weird because, you know, now you're supposed to come down and, and, and go to Africa and serve Jesus and all that stuff. We're not doing that. I'm not even asking you to go to Kentucky, although you need to. Simply what we're going to ask this morning is that you simply respond to what God's revealed to you through his word. Hey, guys, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to persuade you in such a way that's going to change your life. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm simply pointing out scripture. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who bring the gospel. For you and I, the question comes is, what are we going to do in light of this revelation? What are we going to, are we going to live missionally? Or are we going to continue doing the things that we've done in the past? That's your choice. I'm still trying to, <laughs> I'm still trying to live through it. One of the ways we do it through obedience is by remembering what Jesus has done for us, the call of the gospel by communion. I'm going to pray, and as I finish, the band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a time of, of focused worship. And a part of that worship is responding to what God's revealed, and, and that's obedience by doing communion. If you are a believer, then we please take communion. Remembering Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for the remission of our sin, for the forgiveness of our sin. And when you do this, you do this in remembrance of what he's done. You focus on him. But if you're just checking it out and you're not really sure about it, all we simply ask is that you just remain seated. This is, this is powerful for us. It means something to us because Jesus has done that. And so we just simply ask you to remain seated and just kind of observe, see what's going on. But that's a part of our obedience. That's a part of living missionally. So let's pray. And as we do, everybody's got to come up. Father, we thank you that your word is that which transforms. Your Holy Spirit moves in us and transforms us. It changes the way we view things, the way we view the world, the way we see what missions are, the way we see what gospel-centeredness is, the way we see living in community is. And Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you move in such a way that you challenge us to change. And we'll understand that missions is not where we're going, it's where we're at. That missions is investing the gospel in everyday circumstances and situations and people's lives. And that through that we develop community and connection by our relationship with you and with others. Help us to understand that as we live on mission, we're simply doing what you've called us to do as we go. That we're to make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded us. 
and that we're not on our own, that you'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. Holy Spirit, move in us in such a way that this is a flow, this up, this in, this out. Flows through us so that other people will see and, and will, will take notice, but not take notice of us, but will make much of you. We love you, Father, and thank you for all these things. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and everybody said, 